welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. So Tim, you had the conversation today. Um, you spoke with Danielle Johnson-Carr, who is the lead of Magnet, and that's Team Whistle's social content agency. I'm curious, like, how is a social content agency different from, I guess, a typical publisher's branded content studio? Yep. You and I are of the same mind because that was my first question for Danielle. And the gist is basically that um, Magnet is producing content, mostly videos for advertisers' own social channels or brands' own social channels as opposed to like a branded content studio inside a publisher that is more doing um, like advertorials or videos that are meant to live on the publisher's own site or be distributed on the publisher's own social channels. Got it. Okay, so definitely more social-focused. I guess that's in the name. But I'm curious like how maybe like a TikTok you know, account comes into play because I know a lot of publishers are trying to figure out the TikTok landscape. A lot of brands feel even more at a loss. Like, I guess, does TikTok kind of come into play with what the, with what Magnet's focusing on? Yeah. TikTok and YouTube are the two platforms that Danielle mentions as being where a lot of the interest is going from the clients that Magnet has, um, which makes sense because Team Whistle um, originated as a YouTube channel or, you know, network of YouTube channels. Um, and, and then has, you know, brought into, you know, Snapchat and all the other social video platforms, but TikTok obviously is at a big couple of years. Um, so she talks about how, you know, Magnet has put together this TikTok playbook that they will be releasing. I think a lot of that covers kind of what people may expect of like, you know, trends are important on TikTok, but she does mention how voiceover content works really well on TikTok, which I thought was interesting. So we get into kind of like the top plays from this playbook. Got it. Interesting. Well, I'm eager to hear more and yeah, take it away, Tim. Cool. Thanks, Kayla. Danielle Johnson-Carr, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much, Tim. We're really excited to be here. Absolutely. So, Danielle, back in February, Team Whistle launched its uh, social content agency, Magnet, which you are the lead of. Um, For anyone in the audience who's not familiar, Team Whistle um, used to be called Whistle Sports. It's a media company that started out very much focused on digital videos or social videos with a sports focus. It's kind of broadened by that, and it's been acquired, uh, I think, a couple years ago, if my memory serves. The past couple of years have been kind of fuzzy, but by a bigger media company, Eleven. Um, and now, so within Eleven is Team Whistle, and then within Team Whistle is Magnet, which, again, is a social content agency. And I want to kind of start there, Danielle. So Magnet gets described by Team Whistle as a social content agency as opposed to a branded content studio, which I feel like is kind of a more common term for these like agencies inside of media companies. So what is Magnet's kind of remit? That's a great question. Um, and you got all of that right, too, in the beginning. <laughs> um, we We wanted to position ourselves slightly different than just a studio. We felt like um, studio is certainly a lot of the offerings that we have um, around video content, um, more snackable content from uh, 
maybe some long form uh, work from clients, um, editing down, but we also offer a ton of other services more in the areas of influencer and creator marketing, um, long-term relationships and campaign work, channel management, um, more snackable content, and then really ongoing relationships. So we felt like if we landed in that studio space, um, while we do all have those offerings, it might just sort of limit us in where we were going to reach some prospective uh, clients, especially when we wanted to get into those probably like longer term um, remits with, with certain opportunities. Got it. And I believe like Team Whistle had done some of that work like prior to the launch of Magnet back in February. So was, was this like a carve out of that business into its own entity? Yeah, so we what we really wanted to do based on all of the um you know acquisitions and, and sort of like combining of forces, we wanted to, you know, really have a hard line in, in what we're doing moving forward. Um I think also for us while when we shifted to mag- magnet we wanted to also expand the offerings to different kinds of clients. So there had had that expertise prior, but there was a, a much more focus on probably different t- sort of clients. And, and for us right now, we found that there was a lot more opportunities with brands um, and we wanted to make sure that we were positioned in, in the right place. I think also really harnessing all of our offerings with a very clear remit, clear goals, clear purpose gave us a lot more opportunity to position ourselves right in the market and then also work with prospective clients um, and really be clear on what we were going to uh, propose to them. Got it. What are those different clients that Magnet's now working with? So um, most recently, we've been working with Oikos um, from Dan One. We work with Bumble. We're working with MLB. Um, we're working with Wawa. So there's a really interesting roster of clients there. Um we have Premier League, we have um, Charles Leclerc, like there, it really is sort of a lot of different, um, different kinds of clients across the board, um, also not just US based. So that was kind of interesting as well. Um, so you can see that there's some of the sports area, there's some real hardcore brands area, um, there's actual talent that we're working with. Um, and then we have some entertainment spaces, but we're, we're interested in, in broadening out what those clients are got it so i mean among those that you listed there's you know sports leagues and cpg brands those weren't like verticals or industries that team whistle was working with previously it definitely was um especially with the sports leagues that's you know primarily a big focus i think when the sort of shift came um there had been a relationship with brands holistically and a lot of more in those brand partnerships, sponsorships within, you know, that publishing space. I think for us really providing more of what we would call typical agency services hadn't been, um, hadn't been happening as much. So I think for us, we really, we had these great relationships with clients, um, where we were providing them this, you know, stellar content that was really resonating with folks, but, it was for our channels. <laughs> and I think for them, the, the opportunity was, okay, we're working with this excellent partner. We're working, you know, they get things, they're nimble, they're creative, they really understand the audience, they understand the platforms. How do we get that content for us? And then how do we also, you know, for us, it was a big, it was a shift to working more primarily with the clients versus the sort of intersection of, you know, media agencies where we would, you know, partner holistically with them. 
Got it. And so why would a media company want to be in that more traditional agency business? Like, as you mentioned, and I feel like with, you know, traditional branded content studios that publishers have set up, it's been kind of that, you know, first example of, hey, brand, we can produce this video for you. And then like, yeah, you can post it to your own like Instagram or your YouTube channel, but we'll also put it on our YouTube channel or our website and you'll be able to get the audience there and we can run it as ads all these different places. Now it sounds like Magnet is doing is kind of just the role of a, you know, creative agency with a social focus. And so again, my question is kind of like, why would a media company want to be in that business? It's a good question. Um, I think for, for us, we're probably not seeing ourselves as like your typical creative agency. Um, we do offer a lot, offer a lot of the services. I think what we're, what we don't want to be doing is, um, more of that like day-to-day management. So we offer channel management, but we know when it, where it makes sense and where it doesn't for us, the opportunity, um, was given the previous relationships, the existing relationships that we had. And then I think also just when we were talking to a lot of the prospective clients or like our current client roster, the needs that they had felt a little bit bigger than sort of like a studio needs. Um, and for us, because we're customizing every different relationship. So it's certainly not a one size fits all for like, you know, for Oikos, for example, we did a more timely campaign for them. So, you know, we were acting de facto sort of like studio like where there was, you know, content created for them. Um, we weren't, you know, we weren't doing a lot of the posting. We weren't doing a, a kind of channel management. There's a lot of opportunities in some other spaces where channel management makes a lot of sense, um, especially in what I would say probably more like uh, hyper-focused social areas. So we're certainly not, um, we wouldn't be oppo- completely opposed to it, but I don't think we're walking in and uh, with that AOR approach where we would, manage soup to nuts all of your social channels but we do feel like there's certain social channels um you know almost entertainment channels at this point like youtube and tiktok that really are probably not getting managed in the the right way for a lot of brands um it has and that's an area for us where there's growth but i think with just our large amount of expertise in that space um and frankly sort of like the lacking that we've seen and and you know just um, some other deliverables in that space, we that provides us with a lot more opportunity. So I think when we say channel management, which is a great question, we want to make sure that it's in the right spaces, on the right platforms, and it really makes sense for the clients what they're looking for. So we are getting a lot of those um, requests and RFPs around very specific platforms versus like a holistic every platform um, to manage. Got it. And you come from the traditional agency world. You worked at McCann New York. You also worked at Deutsch New York and 360i. And so what is it about the the agencies that the agencies aren't doing this kind of work or fulfilling those needs for the advertisers that creates this opening for Magnet? Um, I think one of the one of the reasons I'll say that I I left that more traditional holding company um, agency breakdown is I think there's probably some different approaches as broader, like bigger age, bigger agencies are, are thinking how they're thinking, addressing, um, clients problems. I think for one of the opportunities that we have is there's probably a clear understanding of the audience that a lot of our prospective and current clients are trying to reach. So 
you know, when you are the AOR agency, you are constantly trying to re- reinvent your, your developing brand purpose, you're developing out of home work, you're developing a lot of these things. Um, maybe not so much at specialized agencies like 360, but at McCann, you know, you're thinking about everything holistically for a brand, which means that some things aren't going to be, um, you're not going to be able to invest the time in every different um, space and platform. Um, And a lot of brands are also taking some of that work in-house or they're working with in-house teams who are probably somewhat able to do a lot of the work, but probably not from a production point of view. So there's a huge opportunity for us to work. Um, that's what we've done a lot too. We've worked with in-house teams who have the creative, they have, you know, they're, they're strategic thinkers. Um, they're, there's, you know, pretty well-built social teams. And what they're missing is some of that more production expertise. They're missing some of that management expert, channel management expertise. And for us, we have that opportunity because we have that publishing side where we're getting all of these interesting insights on a daily basis that we're able to then repackage and repurpose for prospective clients. But also that has helped us shift over time the content that we're creating for for brands and for clients. So, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the agencies, um, and especially as there's more specialized teams, everything is sort of when it's reporting, you're thinking about the sort of brand and maybe some of their competitor space, but you're probably not able um, just due to timing and just access to to different performance metrics. You're not able to understand fully, like probably like the broader landscape of like what's going on on YouTube um, as much as like publisher would, who is, you know, really creating new and different content on a daily basis in YouTube space where I don't know that a ton of brands are thinking about it in that way, um, especially agency partnerships. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to to work even holistically with some of these AORs where we can take a lot of the things that might not make a ton of sense for them to do. Um, we can come in with some different interesting learnings um, and then also some probably just more nimble uh, production capabilities for us. Got it. And so Magnet is part of Team Whistle. So like inherently there's a relationship or at least a proximity there, but that doesn't necessarily mean that there like are connections between the two sides or that like, I mean, you can, you know, often inside companies there can be silos. And so how does Magnet, is Magnet able to connect or like use whatever Team Whistle is figuring out with its own YouTube channels or its Snapchat accounts or its TikTok accounts and apply that to then the work Magnet is doing? Like, is there a specific like formal system in place? There's um, formal and informal systems in place. Um, I will say that we we act as one. So while, you know, there's folks who work on the agency side and there's folks who work more on the publishing side, there we're all working for, for one. Um, so we have uh, cross department meetings where we're getting into basically all the content, both for brands and publisher at least once a week, um, which gives everyone a time to understand what's going on. We um, are a heavy Slack culture. So there's a lot of conversations and we have platform for specific uh, slacks that, you know, everyone who works on those platforms are in that as well as some of the leadership folks to get information. Um, our insights team who is incredible, you know, they're incredibly knowledgeable. They're in the platforms on the back end and then, 
every day, they're also a shared resource too. So we're getting information from not just the folks that are creating the content. Um, we're also getting the right information from the same people who are, are measuring and, and developing those metric systems. And then for us at, on the leadership level, we always are trying to make sure that there's more um, collaboration. So we're we're currently working on um, we're just in the final stages of a TikTok playbook. So that playbook was developed with our content strategy team from the agency side, as well as our content and channel managers from the agency side, as well as our programming team and our creatives on the more publishing side. So for us, we we don't like to have like a hard line. And there's been a lot of opportunities for us where we maybe um, our production is more primarily a sponsorship piece. We'll make sure that there's the right social media producer will be on set. So we're all about collaboration in an effort for one to probably be as as knowledgeable as possible, get some information around trends, what's popping. I think two also to just make sure that there's there really is no silos and lines across the agency and the organization so that people can, you know, really believe what they're doing and uh, believe in what they're doing. There's a lot of fulfillment around that as well. Um, And I think it just has made it a lot more interesting of a culture where it's not you're on this team or you're on this team. It's all like one team, one dream. Got it. Is but Magnet, is there like a dedicated team? Like you're the lead for Magnet. Yes. Yeah. There's a dedicated team, but because just what I'll say is not just because of that, we're not in constant contact. So our my partners on the content side, you know, we're talking probably, I don't know, eight to 10 times a day. And oh. I think those like slacks and those like informational um, meetings and sort of like playbook process and all of that, making sure that that's allowing folks to learn. Um, those are meetings that are happening weekly, bi-weekly, and then monthly. Got it. How many people are part of the Magnet team right now? So right now, um, officially, like only on the agency side, we have about 35 people. Okay. That seems like a good number. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great number. And I think for us, um, it's a mixture of, we have accounts, account folks, uh, creative folks, strategy folks. Um, and then we have some shared resources. So I think for us, um, you know, some of that measurement piece is a shared resource. Um, so technically they're on the agency side, but they're a shared organization resource. Got it. So you mentioned account folks, strategy folks, like what are the different roles of the people who are part of Magnet? We have, I mean, it's, it's a lot of hybrid culture, um, which I think with any sort of smaller um, agency you get. Account really is in that client services. Um, so they're managing the day-to-day conversations with clients, um, facilitating a lot of like the contracts and the back and forth around finance. Um, we have our content strategy and our content development team who are all, you know, holistically grouped together. So they work really closely. Um, we just know obviously in social that, you know, sort of strategy and content go hand in hand. So they're not living in separate areas that they're working holistically together. Um, and we have, uh, you know, VP of creative and strategy. We have directors, senior directors. Um, and then we have a handful of senior uh, channel managers and community managers who are creating content um, and, you know, doing the uploads, doing the daily maintenance of, of some of those more um, robust relationships that we have with the channel management piece. Got it. And then do you have like in-house people who are like actually involved in the production, like, you know, the 
directors or you know a dp director of photography or graphic artists motion designers things of that nature yes so we have um our production team is more of a i would say a holistic re- like a, a shared resource um so we have graphic designers post production resources um we use them in a very similar fashion so when we're getting work um and projects that are coming through we're you know kicking off so a lot of our kickoffs have um a holistic team where there's the, we bring in the directors, we bring in production, um, post-production and all of that is happening at the same time. So like if we're creating video series or video content, um, that we, we feel like is deemed probably with a, a much higher level of production, we'll bring in those folks. There's also some times where in a more streamlined like TikTok area or YouTube shorts um, where we're probably not creating like a full scale production. Um, we would lean more into those more nimble content team um, to create that work. So every time we get a remit, we're sort of identifying right away, like what does this going to look like? Who's the team that's going to work on it? Um, and we kick it off fairly quickly to know what's going on. And leadership has an understanding of like what, what are the resources that we'll need to make sure that it's the right resourcing through project management to help too. How much jockeying goes on if like you all have a project and you need like a couple of the graphic artists, but then the content team also needs those graphic artists for something and like who wins out? Oh, that's a great question. I think we've all been pretty, um, there ha- we haven't had as many, um, I would say like uh, time time issues because we do have a pretty robust team and if we do need support and there's like something that their team can't get to we'll kind of figure out like do we have to bring in freelance talent for that um we have a a pretty robust um network of freelance talent that we work with too so they're kind of always at the ready um there was a project that we were working on um it was like a sizzle for something and like we could definitely have done it internally but then that would have taken us off of a timeline for an actual client deliverable. So we were like, we got a freelance team, they can come in real quick. And, you know, it was done in probably the same time. Um, so for us, that there's a lot of those opportunities. Um, I think getting back to this, like, I'll probably say this a lot, but this coll- team of like collaboration, um, we're constantly trying to figure out like what can get done, what needs to get done. And like, trying to resize, like, you know, shift priorities. And that's, you know, across the, the whole organization, just so that we remain nimble. We're never missing timelines. Um, and the reality is that, you know, we're, we're going to make sure that the work that we're proposing and need to launch is always going to get like the top billing in, in priorities. Got it. And so that collaboration, I mean, I imagine there are all sorts of ways in that which that can yeah. <laughs> be really helpful and beneficial and advantageous. I also imagine it can make things a little messy from a kind of like PL or budget perspective. And so how do you manage like the PL or the budget if, you know, especially if these are a lot of times shared teams of making sure that like you're protecting your budget or that the content team isn't trying to like eat into your budget or anything like that, or, you know, how things kind of get accounted for with, you know, the brand level, if there is, you know, deals that span magnet and other aspects of team whistle, like it just feels like that again, it could get really messy really quickly. Right. We, um, there's this, there's a way that we, um, like, so I'll, 
each different, I think, account and client probably is we have you know specific rates of what we're doing um, and then you know billable hours and all that kind of stuff as your more traditional agency. Um, I think also trying getting ahead of things. So when we're kicking off projects, having a very clear understanding of like what are things going to cost um, so that we're baking that into, you know, what we're, you know, the, the broader charge and the broader cost. Um, and then making sure that, you know, obviously we have to hit certain margins. Um, you know, we're, we're going to make sure any, as any agency or any organization has to hit. Um, and the way that we have um, staffed out the team is that we know that um, each project based on sort of like what the remit is, we know who we're going to need. So from a cost point of view, um, we can cover off some of like the the full-time headcount um, across the, org- the organization and and not eat into some of that margin. So I think for us, um, we're, we're more, you know, where the variables come in is like that production area where we're probably going to have to like go outside, um, go out of the organization. Um, and then also if there are some, you know, media pieces, you know, actual hard money that goes into to media, um, that's a little bit different as well. So I think each one we sort of decide, you know, how to through that proper kickoff, we're, we're pretty good about it. But I think for us, the goal really is to make sure that we're doing the right kind of work um, and with the teams that we have. And we're not to get in too far into like the PL weeds, but um, we have, you know, a specific area for us where we know is, is this going to be an advantageous project for us? Is this going to be something that just, you know, sucks up resources and we're, we're not going to find that margin. And there's a lot of times where we'll probably just say, this is not the right project for us. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor and we'll be right back. To what extent is Magnet kind of going to market on its own, like doing its own deals with advertisers, or is everything kind of part of a you know broader team whistle, or even you know, maybe an eleven package of well, if you want to do a deal with Magnet, then you, you know there's this media commitment you have to do in order to advertise against you know Dude Perfect or other channels that are part of Team Whistle. We there's no mandatories, which I think probably makes it a little bit more beneficial to work with us. Um, so we're not going in and, you know, to your point, like with that hypothetical, we're not saying you have to do X, Y, Z. You know, given um, our launch in February, what we have been able to do is um, go to market and to prospective clients with an either or an end, you know, like this is what we're able to do. We've, when we are going to prospective clients, we break down like, where does, where's the differentiator? Where's the services? What would that specifically cost? What are the added benefits? We do find that there's probably some um, budget benefits to people if, if there's an interest in kind of doing both. Um, And we're excited about, you know, bringing that all to life. Um, For us, what we've also found is there's been a lot of clients coming directly towards directly to us who had probably worked with an media agency because um, when they're coming to us for more of that, like just creative services, there's really not a, a wonderful place for media a media agency and that sort of deal. Um, but they've been able to say, come to us and say, we love this partnership. We love this collaboration that we had, you know, six months ago. We'd love to see this in, in a different way. Um, we have had um, 
strong renewal also with like even our existing client base. So we're at about 100% growth in renewal rate compared to this time in 2021 for Team Whistle. Um, And I think for us, having this, um, you know, agency offering has been really beneficial because it gives an opportunity for our business development teams to go and talk to, you know, clients that they've worked with prior and said, hey, you know, we did have a great relationship. I know that we had talked about there was an issue here or, um, you know, you guys were looking for, you know, support for your internal teams. Um, you, you know, you needed to hit certain um, metrics when you were performing your, you're taking some of the stuff in house. Like there's been a lot of different conversations. I'll say that our, our business development seller teams are so amazing. They have these really extensive and wonderful relationships. So for us um, it's provided a lot of opportunities for us to sort of go back and, and re-engage in some of relationships um, that were probably primarily on the media side and bring them over to this opportunity. And we're also seeing a really interesting space where um, we work with one client on one project. Um, we're working with MOB. We have this wonderful project. There's some other things in the works with them. Um, so I think for us, like having those relationships um, has been really helpful. Similar situation with Bumble. We did a, a fairly large scale project with them, someone else in their team in a different department needed something else, but it, you know, oh, it made actual sense to work with us. So we're picking up a lot of that work. So like, I think for us, a lot of that relationship building is really important because, because we're not this like very traditional, um, you know, agency, we're able to do some additional, like more of that production piece for, for brands that we have relationships with that isn't maybe always campaign based, or it is maybe more, um, commerce or direct sales and all of those kinds of things. So we're, we're able to, to foster those relationships into different kinds of client relationships and internally expand those, those relationships as well, based on our, you know, long-term relationships. I don't know if that fully answers your question, but I, I hope it does in some way. Yeah, well, it, it raises a, another question because you mentioned how like the agencies can be like a you know source of business for you because they're looking for collaboration. But I imagine like there can be po- potential points of friction with creative agencies who may be part of the same parent company as that media agency or maybe the creative agencies on the roster of the brand. How do you manage that? Because especially like coming from yeah. the agency <laughs> world, I would imagine your perspective when you were on that side of things was a bit different now that you're at Magnet? It's it's interesting. We haven't, I'll say, we haven't really run into a problem so far. I'm sure as we work with more clients, it will probably raise its, you know, its head um, or hand. Um, I think one of, the, one of the main reasons I'll say that I came to, to Team Whistle and Magnet was there was a lot of things that... Um, at a creative AOR, you either didn't have time or bandwidth to sort of tackle for clients. So there was like projects that were just as meaningful for maybe different departments, but you're not not your day-to-day clients. There were a lot of like more specific passion pointed um, campaigns or even just work streams that a lot of brands are seeing real success with, but they weren't necessarily sure like which which agency should we go to? Do we go to our big creative AOR? Do we go to um, our PR agency? Do we go to our media agency? And I think the interesting thing is so far what I've seen from our relationships with the media agencies, the media agencies really 
love working with us because we have a couple of different offerings. So we have the more you know clear implication for a media partnership that feels really easy and tangible for them to understand. But then they're also hearing from their clients, you know, oh, we'd love, you know, we ha- we'd love to do this project, but like we can't spend this money on this kind of production or we'd love to do this, but this feels like not the right thing or this isn't part of our SOW with this one. So we're getting a lot of that kind of like, not like just getting right the right place where we can kind of position ourselves in those kind of places where we're alleviating a couple of different issues. And I think because we're not trying to boil the ocean with our offerings, we're we're not coming in and we're not going to be your creative AOR. Like I think at this point we're, we're not going to, you know, we've done some TV, we've done, you know, we're, we're able to do social, but it's not something um, that we're like eyeing for, which I've been on that position where we've, you know, I've been at an agency where we've worked collaboratively with another agency and then six months to a year, that relationship is very different. And um, either that agency had more business or, or vice versa. And I think, um, just the way that we're built, we're not necessarily doing that. Again, not to, I can't see that far into the future outside of like what we're planning for. But I do think at this point, what are our clear offerings where we want to be, like what we want to be doing has at least created a clearer line in the sand, I think, um, for when we're working with prospective agencies. And I think for creative agencies that we've worked with, um, it feels like we can be really strong partners with them where we're not trying to like chip away at some of the work that they're doing. Got it. And then like going back to, you know, the work, I know like one big trend with publishers in-house agencies or branded content studios in the past two years has been the RFP cycle just really shortened. It shortened in 2020. There was a hope that, okay, maybe this is just a temporary thing because obviously pandemic and everything, everyone's trying to be more agile and then 2021, it seemed like everyone came around to like, oh, God, no, this is actually just <laughs> how things are now. Has that remained the case? Like, how short is the RFP cycle at this point? It's very short. Um, I will say also... Like a week short? Depending on some cases, yeah. Like, we've been able to turn around RFPs um, that quickly. I think depending on the time of year, like when I first, um, I was within the organization for a bit before we announced and seeing what a Q4 looked like was coming from your more traditional agency and, and shifting to this type of uh, model was pretty eye-opening. Um, I think also when people start having, oh, you know, brands had a lot of money, they didn't know what the 2022 was going to look like. Um, and I think also given that, we have those different kinds of services that you can, you know, it, it can be brought to life fairly quickly. Um, the RFP being a quickly, pro- a quicker process makes a lot of sense. Um, I will say also we've, we've seen some long form RFP process. So it's not, it's not every RFP that we get, but it is very quickly. Um, and I think for us, what's been interesting, it, it comes quickly from, from everyone. So it comes quickly from clients. It comes quickly from media. Um, maybe so even more so from the media partners because they're looking for like, what's the right solution for, for our clients' problems. Um, I didn't call this out prior, but we do have an internal like marketing team that's really focused on um, building more of those RFPs, you know, with support. So that has enabled us to probably quickly respond to a lot of things um, and create a, a much stronger process across 
both, you know, Team Whistle and Magnet, um, you know, holistically, we've been able to create a much more streamlined, um, still, you know, insight and strategy rich process there. Got it. And like either with the RFP cycle or the contents of the briefs right now, like it feels like things aren't like they were in spring 2020, but like between inflation, interest rates, supply chain issues, that there is some aspect of advertisers being a bit hesitant right now trying to figure out like how much they want to like really be committing, really like looking more for more flexibility to like move money around or like in some cases, pull back money from certain channels and put it into other channels. Um, there also like have been kind of the changes in the effectiveness of certain channels like Facebook in light of Apple's anti-tracking changes. What are you seeing right now in terms of like how all these different macroeconomic factors are coloring into the briefs coming from brands to Magnet? We are definitely seeing the effect. Um, I think primarily... At this point, it's, we're seeing it more on probably the advertiser side because the the budgets are either. Um, it's interesting when when you're leaning more into CPG or those kinds of brands. Um, if there's you know um, product issues or if there's you know uh, stocking issues, like any of these kinds of things beyond inflation. Um, there's, why are we advertising products, but we don't actually, we, people can't get. So I think for us, there's been a, there's been some sort of a little bit of pausing. We've, we've still moved at a a steady pace in the RFP process. And we still moved at a steady pace with getting on new clients or, um, existing clients coming back. So I think that's, that, that is good news. Um, but you know, we're constantly talking about it internally, like, you know, figuring out um, from communications with client existing clients or prospective clients, what is that going to look like for us um, and trying to stay on top of that. Um, and also, I think for us, given the way that we sort of break down things and, and um, create more custom um, projects for everyone, we are able to, you know, be amenable, you know, based on what's going on. Um, I think in an interesting way, I think, I hope I ha- I think it will, and I hope it will. In um, I hate to say inflation benefiting anyone, but I think that there's an opportunity for Magnet because I think what we have seen is more of those like long term services or those like yearly contracts are probably something that that some brands are going to sort of rethink it and go, do we need this? Um, with us being you know providing more of that like social content, um, probably could be more campaign fa- focused we're providing, we can provide a service that doesn't have to be a long, you know, you don't have to have a retainer with us to do that. You can be on a project basis. So for brands who want to wade into certain platforms, who want to um, shift away from the daily management that might not be showing the returns that they would like, um, and maybe more focus on tent poles, as we've seen that that's probably a lot more successful of a tactic on some social channels, that gives us a little bit of an opportunity to come in. um, Whereas other, you know, brought bigger agencies um, or different structured agencies would need that full retainer. There's, there's no way they could take on some of these projects without that. So I think for us, there's gonna, you know, we have to, we have to keep a watch on what's going on. I think we have to, to make sure that we're sort of shifting and addressing that when it, when it comes, we have seen a little bit of a, a slowdown, but um, it hasn't, it hasn't happened just yet as, as 
as stark as it the news seems to appear. And I do think that there might be a, a bigger opportunity for us to help support some brands in the interim where they need some services, but they probably just can't do that full year or multiple year retainers. Got it. And with that slowdown, are you seeing any like specific verticals or even seeing any like shifts in terms of the objectives that you know brands have for campaigns of like well in the past we wanted to like really you know boost you know reach but now like (laughs) we just want sales so we need just you know that's the number you need to give us yeah i think for us um we're still seeing you know work around the reach areas we're still seeing brand affinity brand building which is is interesting at this point um i think for us what has been up Inter- uh, an interesting shift and also a great opportunity is there's been a lot more of that like direct sales, um, social commerce builds where, you know, you're, you're so able to with so many of the platforms now to, to really find those sales and have direct sales. Um, so there's been a lot more clients interested in that space as well as platforms. So I think that for us is, has been an opportunity to grow in that space. We've done some work in there, um, but it's certainly a, an area that we've seen, to your point, like a lot more attribution, making sure that there's a, a clear return on investment. Um, and you can also see that in some of the platforms like you know, TikTok has hustled so fast to get to a place where they can completely prove their return on investment. Whereas, you know, a year and a half ago, it wasn't as distinct. So I think you're seeing it from platforms and also just with the trends shifting to, you know, hyper-focus on, di- on different platforms. Then what we have seen too is clients have been very prescriptive to us too. Like we want this platform versus coming to us and saying, we want this big campaign. Where do you want to go? Um, they're coming to us with a, a very specific goal in mind for certain platforms, which is helpful so that we're not, um, you know, trying to figure out what works on Instagram and what works here and what works there. It's like having a clear understanding, being really intentional and in where, where we're programming and, and thinking about the campaign has helped us um, become more, you know, focused on that return on investment um, and showing those metrics. What's the platform you're hearing them want the most right now? I think everyone in the world has been talking about t- I mean, it's like TikTok. Um, Right now, TikTok is number number one um, with a very close second to us is YouTube. I think just obviously given um, our place in the space, um, you know, Shorty Awards and Emmy Emmy noms and and wins, we we do have um, the credentials, um, and I think we have the the strong expertise for YouTube. I also just think that a lot of other agencies just haven't probably spent too, they haven't spent the right attention to YouTube so I think we have that opportunity but TikTok is certainly the the thing that has come up the most in conversations that makes sense and there's also like there's so many parallels between TikTok and YouTube TikTok hates when I say that it's true though like TikTok is just very very it's the closest um resemblance to YouTube that I've noticed of any of the platforms that have emerged in the past decade. And, you know, we'll kind of wrap on um, TikTok. You mentioned the TikTok playbook that you all are putting together. What's the biggest play in that playbook? Oh, the biggest play. Well, we have a few. Um, I think for us, it's really, to your point, YouTube and TikTok are in this more storytelling space. You know, they're not they're not your more traditional social channels. And I think because that's probably where a lot of the parallels come from. So what we've been seeing is making sure that, you know, we're tapping into talent um, and having talent like leverage trends 
trends are the biggest thing on the platforms and TikTok has made it exceptionally easy to understand what's popping at the right time, what music is working, what special filters are working. So for us, um, it's really enabled us to, to lean into that so that we're popping more into feeds. Um, we also have noticed that everything that's around like real clear tent poles. Um, so either wrap ups or you can't believe that happened at this, you know, this event has, ha has been really strong. Um, but we've also seen a lot of just, which is, is almost like going back to old school community is like, people are very interested in reactionary content. So like someone creating content based on something else, um, even at, you know, purposefully with duets or not. And then there's also been a lot of like just engagement when we're, we're poking for engagement. So in other spaces, like that sort of prompt for engagement hasn't been as beneficial, but I think for us, um, we've been able to see that there's just, people want to be heard. They want to show off, um, especially on TikTok where you have like the majority of, of users or actual creators on the platform. Um, knowing that, like giving people a reason to to take action and to to do something um, has proved really, really um, helpful. We also know that like voiceover content and some feel good stuff has been really beneficial for us. Yeah, that's been like wild <laughs> to me that like voiceovers are doing so well on TikTok, but it's, you know. It's almost like stuck in my head. Want. Yeah, I have like a lot of that, like those certain uh, voiceovers where it's like, I have said this, like it's like stuck in my head at this point. <laughs> right, yeah, all the different voices. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Danielle, this is a great conversation. I had a lot of fun talking with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Tim. It was really great. Absolutely. And thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode.